You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. You'll be seated, and let's hear God's Word read today from um, Rick and Caroline, uh, and they're reading from Galatians chapter 5. The scripture reading today comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Hear God's word. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, or envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning, church family. I'm Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third. I want to welcome you, uh, especially if you're visiting today. Uh, really grateful to be with you here uh, at the beginning of this new year. And I wonder how you're feeling about this new year that is ahead of us. Where are you? What place are you in as you think about the year is ahead? I, I think that um, some of us are probably feeling really optimistic about 2021 um, with the potential, um, you know, the work of the vaccine and with the potential um, slowing or even ending of this pandemic and envisioning getting back to normalcy and life a little bit. Um, Some of us might be feeling really excited about that. Others of us uh, might be feeling really pessimistic um, and and sad about the coming year, especially in the light of already what's happened with the attack on the Capitol last week and with the tumultuous presidential transition and with the rising numbers of the pandemic. Some of us might be feeling like, you know, this year is just going to bring more pain or more confusion or, or, or more hurt. Some of you might just be kind of in the middle, not really knowing what to think. And here is the good news, that wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, both in your feelings and your experience today, we worship a God of love who meets you exactly where you are and whose grace is sufficient for you exactly where you are. Whether you are hopeful or pessimistic, whether you are excited or full of dread, his grace is sufficient for you because he loves you. He loves you. And that's called grace. But as the writer Anne Lamott says, grace meets us as we are, but never leaves us as we are. 
Because God also desires to call us to new things. And that's really the question that I want to think about today. As followers of Jesus, what is it that God is calling his church to in the coming year? What is God asking of us? How is he challenging us? What new path is he calling us on? You know, this is Vision Sunday. Um, and every January in the beginning of the year, we like to spend a little bit of time thinking about our vision as a church. Who is it that we are as third church? What is God calling us to be? Who is God calling us to be? You might know that our vision um, as a church that we've been um, really animated by over the last few years is this, called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. And I love that vision uh, because it's a, it's a vision that is very comprehensive. It's It calls us up, it calls us in, it calls us out. It's about our life with God. It's about our life with each other. It's about our life in and for the world. It's a vision of a a Christ-centered community in which Jesus is calling us to join in his mission of renewal throughout the world. And I love that. And and, um, I often spend my time, uh, the opportunity I have to preach to you as your pastor, I often spend that time on these Vision Sundays to especially preach and teach about our outward mission, our mission to our neighbors, our mission to the poor, our mission to the world, um, our, our call to carry out our missional identity through our everyday work or through our neighborhoods or through our parishes and the world. But you know, as I have spent time with the Lord um, over these last few weeks, I feel led this morning to talk less about our outward mission of renewal and more about the inward work of renewal that I believe that God through his spirit wants to do in us. The inward work of renewal that God wants to do in us. The last 10 and a half months have been apocalyptic in the true sense of the word. Yeah, you know what apocalypse means now, right? Uh, If you were with us for that Revelation series, what does apocalypse mean? Do you remember? Revealing, good, very good class. Revealing uh, or disclosing. And these last months have truly been revelatory, uh, disclosing in the true sense of the word. You know, as hydraulic pressure reveals what is under the surface of the ground, so the accumulated pressure of the traumas of these last 10 and a half months have revealed and exposed what is beneath the surface of our lives. And, And can we be honest? It has not been pretty. You know, I mean, we, we have seen some of the worst of human attitudes and behaviors surface and be exposed the last 10 and a half months. And, and, and it's not just people out there, like non-believers in the culture. Um, we have seen ugly things among us in God's church, in our own families, our own friendships, certainly within the, the broader American evangelical church at large. I certainly know I have seen a lot of ugly things surface within me, things that I'm ashamed of. And, and this is something, dear church family, this is something that I believe God wants us to talk about here in the beginning of this new year. I believe that we are in a pivotal moment in the life of the church, that the American evangelical church is in crisis. It is in crisis. So much has been revealed. In the last 10 months, we have seen just how captive we are to fear, to power, to comfort and control. We have witnessed how easily manipulated we are by political power and fear-mongering. We have seen just how captive we are to the exact same patterns 
uh, of division and anger and hatred and discord as the secular world around us. Uh, We have seen ways that we turn a blind eye to sin, um, both sins like abortion and sexual immorality and also sins of racial injustice and, and hatred and lies and deceit. Uh, we have blindly accepted the merging of the gospel with, with alt-right paganism and left-wing activism. Uh, we have barely raised a finger against satanic movements like QAnon and its lie-drenched conspiracies that have infiltrated the church. And we have passively accepted the assimilation of the gospel hope with nationalistic agendas and political ideologies. Friends, the American evangelical church is playing with blasphemy. And, and we, are, we are hemorrhaging the next generation. We are, we, are, we are teetering on the edge of impotence in our gospel witness. So I don't even really, I, I don't want to talk about our outward mission of renewal because how can we if all this is true, right? How, how can a movement that is living so far from union with Jesus Talk about being a bright Christian witness to the world. See, God calls his church to be an alternative community, one that is different, one that lives differently, that loves our enemies differently, that resolves conflict differently, that is different in the way that we live. In a time of crisis, God calls his people to respond differently than the secular communities around us. And yet, as we have seen in the words of Phil Kennison, the church in the U.S. looks suspiciously like the dominant culture rather than being an alternative to it. Now you might be saying, Corey, aren't you being a bit hard on us? I mean, (laughs) yeah, maybe those problems are with churches, other churches or other Christians out there, but you know, it's been a little better here. Listen, listen, that might be true, but I'm not their pastor. I'm your pastor. And we don't have responsibility for for other churches or for other people. The only people we have responsibility for is ourselves. And repentance always begins with us. It always begins with us. So how can we restore the faithful witness of the gospel? Only through conversion, through deep internal transformation through the power of the spirit. Jesus himself says in Mark 7, It is what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. For from within of our hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, lies, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus says it is out of the heart that come these things and therefore renewal begins in the heart. It begins with our own Union with Jesus, where the spirit dwells, the spirit who wants to renew us and remake us and conform us more and more into the image of Jesus so that we increasingly look like, resemble him. And that's why today on this Vision Sunday, I believe that God is inviting us to reflect on what does it mean for us to be renewed in our own connection with Jesus through his spirit so that we might bear good fruit, good fruit for our neighbors and for our world. So our passage today, Galatians 5, 13 through 26, is a well-known text in which Paul discusses the war that is at work in every Christian and every Christian community. 
And it is not a culture war. It is not a politics war. It is a moral war within the heart of every believer. He says this. Well, let me just say this first. Sometimes people think that becoming a Christian uh, makes your life easier and happier. And you know, there is, a, there is some truth to that. But in reality, much about life becomes harder when you become a Christian because there, there is now a cutthroat moral conflict waging inside of you every single day. Paul says that this moral conflict is waging in us because we now possess two distinct natures that live in irreconcilable antagonism. Two natures. Let's call these two operating systems at work in us, okay? The first operating system is what Paul calls the flesh. Did you see that in the text? The flesh, or sometimes translated the sinful nature. Paul uses the word sarks, translated the flesh. Now, he's not talking about our physical flesh. You know, the Bible affirms that the body is good and beautiful. He's talking, when he says flesh, Paul means our inner inclination of rebellion against God. Uh, It is, as one writer puts it, the flesh is our independent coping skills and strategies to do life without God. It's everything in us that is core to humanity's fallenness, our own rebellion, uh, our unredeemed selves that want to do life on our own. That's the flesh. The second operating system, Paul says, is what he calls the spirit. This is the new person that the Holy Spirit has made you to be when you were reborn and connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And now that person is free and forgiven and justified and redeemed and now has the power to live an actual God-obedient, God-centered life because the Spirit is now animating and enlivening you to live a new life of the Spirit. So Paul says as Christians, these two operating systems in the church and in the Christian are at war. He says uh, in verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you do not do what you want. Imagine trying to run you know, a Windows operating system and the Mac operating system on the same machine. And in this analogy, you know, like Windows is like the flesh and Mac is the, you know, the spirit or, or whatever, whatever your preference, whatever your preference is. Um, but but let, the other way around for some of you, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But it, it, in any case, your, your laptop would be thoroughly confused and would constantly be, you know, not being able to operate in a functional way. And this is what is happening all the time. And us, Paul says, we have this, we have, we have, as Christians, we have this new life in the spirit in which we are connected to Jesus and the spirit is animating the new life of love in us, and yet we have the constant presence of the old operating system, the flesh that keeps drawing us back to live our lives apart from God and to rely on our own raw human instincts and and rely on human wisdom in order to cope with the problems of life. And Paul is urging the young Galatian church, if you are not careful, church, you will be drawn right back in to living your life in the ways of the flesh. And if you want to know if you are, just look at the signs, look at the fruit. Verses 19 through 21, he begins to describe what a life looks like that is driven by the flesh. He mentions 14 behaviors. And commentators often group these down into four distinct areas. The first is sexual Immorality. Paul uses the word porneia, which is from which where we get the word 
pornography. He, he says it's sexual immorality and impurity. One way the flesh operates is to indulge in illicit sexual activity outside of God's design for human sexuality. That's one way the flesh emerges in our lives. A second way is what you could call indulgences. Paul talks about drunkenness and debauchery and orgies. The flesh is marked by a lack of self-control, unbridled desire, a giving into base passions. Now, these two areas, sexuality and indulgences, are perhaps the ones that you would most think of when you hear the word the flesh. Or, and, and honestly, it's probably where conservative Christianity has most focused on when you think about the sins of the flesh. And it actually may be the case that for some of us, uh, the last 10 months have brought serious battles uh, in, in, in these two areas. As you've had more time on your own, you've had more time online, um, maybe you've sought ways to escape or numb your depression or loneliness. And we know that two industries that are just thriving right now are the porn industry and the alcohol industry. And, and I just want to tell you, if you are in that place, I mean, you are battling these things, you're battling addiction, whatever it might be, please let it be known. Um, talk to one of your parish elders, talk to one of us as your pastors. We have resources to help you. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time talking about the next two areas, which are often areas we neglect. The th next area that Paul addresses is the area of religion. He mentions in verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. He says one of the main ways we operate in the flesh is by turning to false gods and false forms of religion to deal with the problems of life. And this is so revealing. If you look at how people have responded to the crises of the last 10 months, you see many ways that people, and I mean Christians, not just non-Christians, have turned to something other than the living God for help, for comfort, and for control. And that's what idolatry is. It is turning to someone or something other than God for help and protection. Witchcraft or sorcery, sometimes it's translated, is interestingly less about like using potions and flying around on brooms and is more about tampering with the powers of evil and mixing the worship of God with false idolatries. And so this is what is so scary about even the way Christians have been behaving over the last 10 months, whether it is looking to government leaders uh, for almost messianic protection or power, uh, mixing ideas of nationalism or American exceptionalism and greatness with the truth of the gospel, or trusting in science or politics or economics as our ultimate hope, or using the name of God to baptize our own social or political agendas. All of this is what Paul would describe as idolatry and witchcraft. It is born of and driven by the flesh, religious idolatry. And the fourth area, he says, is relationships. Nine of the four behaviors that Paul mentions refer to how we treat each other. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Y'all, this has been a moment where the church had the opportunity to model the very best of what the body of Christ can be in crisis. How we love each other, how we love our neighbors, how we love our enemies. And there have been remarkable demonstrations of how the church has embodied the love of Christ, both the broader church and our own local church community. But let me tell you, what the watching world has seen more than anything else is a church that is destroying itself. The pressure of these months, 
has created endless divisions and projection and blame assignments and hatred and discord and factions. I've seen this in myself. I've been shocked and ashamed to see how, when under pressure, what sort of selfishness and defensiveness and blame and anger surfaces and rises up in me. Have you seen that in yourself these months? Have you seen the way that you respond to someone's comment on social media? Or, or, or what rises up in you when someone says something on an email or, or even on television that you disagree with? And do you see the anger and the hatred and the bitterness and the aggressiveness that wants to separate or detach or even attack? Paul says right here, verse 15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other, he warns. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary. And so all of these behaviors, Paul says, rise up from us living according to the operating system of the flesh rather than the spirit. And what I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, is that God is giving us an opportunity right now. That the circumstances of the last 10 months have been an apocalypse. A revelatory moment the Lord has used to expose what is in his church. These circumstances reveal how much of us are operating in the spirit and how much we are operating in the flesh. And we have seen perhaps that there is much more flesh in us than we ever cared to admit. Maybe things that have been dormant or things that have been suppressed, but the pressure of the last 10 months have brought them out to the surface. God is giving us this opportunity because he loves us to see the truth and to repent and to pray and to intercede and seek the revival that the Spirit wants to do in us, to be that alternative community of Jesus that resembles him through our fruit to the world. So how can we do that? How can we live and operate as a church of the Spirit? Well, two commands Paul gives, one negative and one positive. Negatively, he says, make no provision for the flesh. He says that in Romans 13, 14, but it's very aligned with his message here. He's saying, don't make space in your life for the flesh to operate. Just don't make space. This is a time, I believe that this is a time for us to do some serious self-evaluation. Some serious evaluation about what are those things in you that trigger the flesh in you? What are those circumstances? What are the environments, the, the way you spend your time? Uh, do, do your positions that you hold lead you to greater love or to greater hate? Do the groups that you align yourself with lead you to become more and more like Jesus or less and less like him? Maybe you need to unfollow some people. Maybe you need to rethink your media habits. Maybe you, you need to, to rethink what you allow to shape your worldview and your responses to the circumstances around you. I think the way that we consume media is an extremely important aspect for us to consider right now, living in these isolated media-driven times, right? Jeff Orlowski, one of the directors of the film, The Social Dilemma, wrote an article last week after the Capitol attack about how what happened there is a symptom of the way that our social fabric is being shredded to pieces by social media. Um, if you've seen that film, and, and I do recommend it, you'll know that the tech insiders um, interviewed in it basically admit that they've been making their living for a decade off of distorting reality. Their business is keeping people hooked on their platforms 
And their algorithms have learned that the best way to do that is by feeding us content that fortify our biases and feed fear and outrage. And so when we let ourselves be formed by that, it literally changes who we are. It changes the way we think. It changes what we feel. It changes the way we behave. So one of the ways that we can make no provision for the flesh family is by being much more intentional about what we are allowing to form our thinking and our loves. This is a great chart that Drew Cleveland showed to me that I know you can't really see it very well. I'll send it to you this week. But you know, you know that uh, food pyramid that you had in your cafeteria as kids that showed you sort of like what foods you need most and least in order to have a healthy functioning body? Well, I love this because this shows what is the kind of the information, the wisdom streams that you need most and that you need least to form you as a wise Christ-following person of love. You know, how's your, how's your wisdom appetite? Are you letting it be formed by the scripture and by the worship and the practices of the local church and even nature and beauty? And are you using the internet and, and, and social media in very small, if not negligible portions because they are distorting our understanding of reality? So what do you need to repent? What do you need to turn from? Make no provision for the flesh. Positively, Paul says, verse 25, keep in step with the spirit. The Christian life begins with the spirit through new birth, and it continues in the spirit as we submit to the spirit's presence in our lives as he works within us. The phrase keep in step with the spirit has the connotation of continuous, regular practice. To walk in the spirit means to create an overall environment in your life that the spirit delights to dwell in. Um, have you ever created a room that you delight to dwell in? You know, like a room in your home and, and you, you paint the walls a color that you love and you get the furniture that you love and the fabrics that you love and the throw pillows that you love and the art that you love and you just, you love to, you love to dwell in it. Well, guess what? You can create an environment in your own life that the spirit loves to dwell in, that the spirit delights to dwell in. And that happens through your habits and your practices and the intentional efforts that you are doing to live life, not on your own, but in daily surrender to the spirit and surrender to his lead. So I wanna invite us to see this time in our church's life from this time now through Easter, April 4th, as a time of deep repentance, self-examination and renewal as we seek as a church to be led by the spirit. We're gonna do that in a couple ways. One is through what we study together. So in, in two weeks, next week is Youth Sunday, and in two weeks, I'm gonna start a new sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. And we're gonna look at them, not just through the lens of personal cultivation, but through collective. How, how are we to be a church of the Spirit in a time of the flesh? How can we be people of love in a time of selfishness? How can we be people of joy in a time of cynicism? How can we be a people of peace in a time of anxiety and so on? And so every week we're gonna look at one of these fruits that the spirit wants to cultivate in us and then put it into practice during the week with concrete ways that we can seek to bear the fruit of the spirit. The other thing that I wanna invite us into is to a deep intentional season of prayer. Starting uh, Ash Wednesday, February 17th, we're gonna enter into 40 days of prayer and fasting as a church where we are crying out to the Lord that he would renew us, that he would renew his church, that he would renew what he is doing in our own land, that the church might again be a place of light 
for our neighbors. So every week we're going to have a theme and every day we're going to have a focus. Every morning we're going to have a 7 a.m. prayer time over Zoom that I and others will lead. and want to invite you into that to pray intentionally that we would be those who are seeking the face of God and that God is doing his renewing and reviving work in us. Friends, this season has been an apocalyptic testing ground. It has exposed what is in us. But I want you to know that God looks on us in love. Despite all that he sees in me and all of us, he looks on us in love. And this exposure is a work of love because he is calling his people into renewal with him. Kennison says this, the spirit is the lifeblood of the church, the vivifying force that makes its very existence possible. Without the spirit, the church is either an empty and lifeless shell or a horrific monstrosity animated by some spirit other than the spirit of the living Jesus. This is, this, this is, this is an either or situation, friends. We are either a church that is led by the spirit or is led by the flesh, that is led by the culture or is led by the kingdom, that is led by human ambition or led by the heart of Jesus. And we wanna be a church that is saying yes to the heart of Jesus. Yes to the spirit of God at working among us. Yes to the work that he wants to do in us to bear his fruit and make us into an alternative community of love for the sake of our neighbors and for the world. May God do that in us. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come and bring repentance. Come and bring conviction. Come and bring renewal. Come and bring faith. Come and bring your fruit. We repent on behalf of ourselves and the church. and We long to see you, Spirit, do the renewing work in us that we might more and more resemble Jesus. Meet us here at this table, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.